right, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, hang on, putting that out. Okay, so the uh, president has uh, just tweeted out that I will be leaving the Great Walter Reed Medical Center uh, today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good. Don't be afraid of covid Don't let COVID dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs. He's talking about therapeutics and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Uh, One, it's not really, I know some have said, but even Dr. Oz in a conversation I had with him said it's it's not really experimental Regeneron, uh, but again, part of the new family of therapeutics that have been now implemented uh, which has been driving down those uh, uh, the mortality numbers in terms of people that were to get COVID-19. Uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany, the latest person in the White House, to and, and also Kelly, Kellyanne Conway, uh, that was late last week, uh, the latest to contract COVID-19. It reminds me a little bit of what happened, what we saw in the meatpacking area of, well, there were actually three areas. One was in South Dakota, one was in Iowa, and one was in Washington state. And and then all of a sudden you, they just went in there and they just focused very heavily on containing these these outbreaks or hotspots, as we call them. Now it seems like one was at the White House. How? Why? Who, you know, I, I don't have the answer to any of that. In 29 days, you are the ultimate jury. In 29 days, you get to decide. In 29 days, this is the tipping point. There's never been an election where more is at stake than this one. Uh, But the president getting out uh, is a great sign and uh, apparently doing well. Um, Might have had a rough, from my understanding, based on reports, uh, first initial hours when he was diagnosed and has turned the corner quite dramatically, although there's a little ebb and flow to this. It could be an up and down part of the cycle, but the therapeutics obviously have advanced well enough now uh, that it's helping almost everybody. His includes, I think, two, the the use of remdesivir and some other therapeutics. Um, I don't know if you ever get the, the full dose. You know, it's amazing, a full story about what somebody's going to use as therapeutics. I would assume for a president or vice president or anybody, um, I'd want to take everything and anything they've got and throw everything they got at it. That would be my my choice of therapeutics, if my doctors would agree with it. Um we have a zombie poll out. The mob, the media want you to celebrate a pretty dubious poll that came out this weekend that shows Biden with a 14 point lead. As I look into the the deep bowels of it, I begin to see why it's not one that I particularly trust. Uh, Zogby announcing Zogby strategies, EMI research solutions have it a two point race. Biden, 49, Trump, 47. His smallest lead yet in a national poll. The survey not only challenged the media's narrative about Biden building his lead over Trump, but it even surprised John Zogby. Zogby said, quote, contrary to my own observations, it looks like the president has not been hurt by his debate performance or nor his hospitalization. His 47 uh, percent performance is actually one point higher than his percentage in 2016. Um, now, earlier polls, Biden had a solid lead in two earlier Zogby EMI polls, one in 49-42, another 48-42. Um, the poll that I thought was way out of whack, and I did a deeper dive into it, was the Wall Street Journal poll that had uh, Biden at a 14-point lead. But you're not going to hear a peep about this 
new poll in the media except this. Um, they used this survey used likely voters. They didn't stack the deck against Republicans the way the journal did in theirs. It's a partisan breakdown that closely mirrored what we saw in the 2016 voter turnout. That's the Zogby poll. The poll was conducted, by the way, by the Washington Think Tank. We got another poll, the Democracy Institute, on behalf of UK Express. But anyway, the the monthly Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll uh, shows that the president is still on course for a victory. 46% of the popular support compared with the Democratic rival Joe Biden of 45. That poll completed after news broke that the president and his wife did have COVID-19. 68% said the illness will not impact their vote. 19% said they were more likely to support Trump. Only 13% said less likely. Almost two-thirds said they felt sympathy and concern for the president. And crucially, the president's lead in swing states like Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin remains at 4% uh, by 47, 43. And we'll see what happens. Um, now, the Wall Street Journal poll, I didn't quite understand at all because it had Biden at 53, Trump 39. They used registered voters. Always a problem. Never should be using registered voters. Doesn't make sense. We think we'd learn something. Anyway, it was conducted in the two days following the debate, but before news that the president tested positive for COVID-19. But anyway, as the story notes, it's a poll of registered voters, which is virtually unheard of at this late stage in the campaign because they're so much less reliable than likely voters. Of the 11 polls that made up the current Real Clear Politics average, only two used registered voters. The rest do use likely voters. Uh, then when you look into the, you know, sampling in this particular poll, uh, Democrat pollster Peter Hart grossly oversampled Democratic voters, 45 to 36 Republican. OK, that's a nine point advantage for the Democrats. So I'm not sure how how you get to that number and, and, and have it with any sense of clarity or believability. The Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll reveals what the election would look like if pollsters did not routinely weight their samples heavily in favor of Democrats. And when you don't weight it at all, it shows that Trump is leading nationally. Now, what does that mean for me? Not a whole lot, to be honest, because there's only one poll that really matters, and that's the one that you actually take part and vote in. Um, And that's the one that's going to matter the longest. I mean, there's anecdotal information, anecdotal evidence By the way, the president's doctor uh, is now speaking outside of Walter Reed Hospital. Let's just listen in for a minute. Saturations and his work of breathing are all normal. Though he may not entirely be out of the woods yet, the team and I agree that all our evaluations, and most importantly, his clinical status, support the president's safe return home, where he'll be surrounded by world-class medical care 24-7. I'd like to bring Dr. Dooley up to review some more specifics. Good afternoon. Just a brief update this morning. Uh, As Dr. Connolly mentioned, the president uh, continues to do very well. His vital signs this morning uh, were notable for a temperature of 98.1. His blood pressure was 134 over 78. A respiratory rate of 17 respirations per minute. His heart rate was 68 beats per minute and his last oxyhemoglobin saturation was 97% on room air. He currently uh, 
does not endorse any respiratory complaints. And aside from our uh, evaluation with the multidisciplinary team this morning, uh, has maintained a full schedule uh, ambulating and working on the White House medical unit. I'll now turn it over to Dr. Garibaldi to again discuss therapeutics. Thanks. Hi, good afternoon. And again, I just wanted to echo the sentiment of what an honor it is to, to be part of this, this wonderful team here at Walter Reed. Uh, yesterday evening, the president received his third dose of remdesivir. He tolerated that infusion without difficulty, and his kidney and liver function continued to be normal. Our plan is to give the fourth dose of remdesivir this evening before he goes back to the White House, and we've made arrangements to deliver the fifth and final dose of his treatment course at the White House tomorrow evening. He continues on dexamethasone, and again, the plan for today is to continue to be up and out of bed, eat and drink, and, and work as he is able. Um, and I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Jason Blaylock, who's an infectious disease specialist and the chief of medicine here at Walter Reed to give some updates on infection control. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, what an honor it's been to be part of this medical team behind me uh, and to care for the president. Since the president's arrival at Walter Reed, uh, he's received medical management that remains in line with national clinical societal guidelines uh, for treatment of COVID-19 infection. In addition, uh, both myself and Dr. Wes Campbell uh, have worked very closely with uh, various uh, laboratories in the area, state-of-the-art facilities to include USAMRID and RARE on uh, obtaining advanced diagnostic testing to really inform the White House medical team of both the status of the president as well as his ability to transmit virus to others. Also, we have worked very closely with the Walter Reed team uh, to ensure that uh, we are looking very closely at infection control prevention strategies and the right posture so that the president can safely return uh, to his residence. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Conley who uh, will answer any final questions. Thanks, Jason. I mentioned it Saturday, but I'd like to reiterate myself just how grateful the President and I are to the men and women of Walter Reed, our colleagues at Johns Hopkins, as well as the many federal, private institutions that we receive support from. And so long as everything continues on the track that we're, that we're experiencing right now, this time, as the President already tweeted out, is to get him home later today. With that, I'll take a couple questions. Discharge back to the White House when he was given steroids. You've said that he's still on those steroids. Those are medicines, as, as you know, that are usually given to COVID patients who are on ventilators or um, with low oxygen. So did you over-treat him? And if he's still on that medication, how is it safe for him to return to the White House? So we, uh, we send patients home with medications all the time. Uh, he, in fact, yesterday afternoon, he probably met most of his uh, discharge requirements uh, safely from the hospital. Uh, and he's returning to a facility, the White House Medical Unit, that's staffed 24-7, top-notch physicians, nurses, PAs, logisticians, and uh, the unit here, uh, the team here behind me is going to continue to support us in that nature. What infection control measures are you taking and how was it safe for him to drive around in a cloth mask yesterday and how is it safe for him now to return to the White House where there have been so many cases? How is any of this safe? So the, the, the president has been surrounded by medical and security staff for days uh, wearing full PPE um, and yesterday uh, the U.S. Secret Service agents were in that same level of PPE for a very short period of time 
uh, we've worked with our infectious disease experts uh, to make some recommendations for how to keep um, everything safe down at the White House for the president and those around him. Um, we're looking at where he's going to be able to uh, carry out his duties, uh, you know, office space, and, um, and I'll just say that uh, it's in line with everything we've been doing upstairs uh, for, the, for the last several days. I mean, the mob can't help themselves. They just have to turn this into something. He's not being safe either. Yeah, no, we're following every known protocol that have been recommended by everybody. Sorry. Um, I'm sure this is a new experience for the doctors. They're just busy saving lives. Uh, Do they think the doctors are not going to follow the safety protocols that they probably have all been following from the beginning of this? Unbelievable. Anyway, 29 days, you're the ultimate jury. I'll tell you, I do get, I get, I get really tired and angry at this point at the COVID lie of Biden and the mob and the media. Um, I've been pointing out it wasn't just February 1st, the day after the president implemented the travel ban on coronavirus, 10 days after the first identified case in this country, that Joe Biden was out there calling it hysterical xenophobia and, and fear-mongering. He was saying that late into March. There's a picture I just saw earlier today, as late as March 9th, five weeks after the president imposed his travel ban. He got a picture of Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, uh, Witless Whitmer, and Cory Booker, you know, running around without any masks on. Like they wouldn't, like they all knew better. This is when arrogantly, you know, de Blasio was saying, here's my list of recommendations where to go in New York City. And Cuomo out there, we're not like other countries. We're New Yorkers. We got the best medical system in the world. And he wasn't ready for anything. And, you know, for them to just Monday morning quarterback, I mean, it's so easy. But the president, you know, okay, downplayed, upplayed by putting the travel bans, subsequent travel bans and the quarantine in effect. It was Steve Scalise did a study probably could be up in the millions, the number of people that contracted that virus and died otherwise. And you got the mob in the media now have launched this full blown propaganda campaign to convince every voter that it was Donald Trump that didn't take the virus seriously. Well, the travel bans are serious. The quarantine was serious. You know, but if wearing the mask is the evidence of a lax attitude early and often, then Joe Biden was right at the top of the list. And he didn't do a thing when it did become a bigger issue. All he did was hide in his basement bunker. You know, I looked for 20 minutes online. What did I find? Dozens of photos of Joe Biden on the campaign trail, glad handing with supporters and huddling with a media mob, even shaking hands with them. And and even some of his former primary rivals in a, each and every one of the photos in March, Biden's not wearing his beloved mask. And then he went into hiding for the rest of t- the all time. Uh, you can't lead when you're down in the bunker hiding. Joe didn't leave anything. Now, the president could have he could have hung out and hid as well. Then nothing gets done. Anyway, imagine if Winston Churchill hid bombing of Britain. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean will continue. All right, glad you're with us. 25 to the top of the hour. Best election coverage available on your radio dial. Best on television. Set your DVR. Hannity, 9 Eastern, Fox News. Um, even CBS's uh, Noller had pointed out, and Cheryl Atkinson reported, that 
you know, so much has been made over the fact that um, the president went out to see supporters over the weekend and um, and Mark Nola reporting the president's doctors approved of his drive by to say hi to supporters outside of the hospital at Walter Reed. And that was cleared by the medical team uh, on how to safely do it, according to White House Press Secretary John De- Judd Deere telling CBS News. Cheryl Atkinson points out, you know, one, the president's limousine doesn't always drive around hermetically sealed. It has the capability to cut off outside air. By the way, there's like a history channel on the beast, they call it. It's really an amazing, amazing uh piece of equipment but anyway there's also a glass partition between mass trump the mass president and the agents in the front seat uh fresh air enters through a series of high efficiency filters you know little facts get in the way of little narratives that nobody ever wants to talk about um and there are always going to be those that want to politicize anything that this president does and that has been happening here as well. There's been a lot of vitriol, a lot of hatred. I'm sure many of you have seen some of this. Uh, the president, for the most part, has been working over the weekend. He has not had a temperature, in, and nor has he had anything like Advil or any type of, of fever or Tylenol, anything fever-reducing in the last 72 hours because he hasn't needed, needed it with his temperature in the 97-98 range. Um, but the president has an office that he has there that he's been using. And um, anyway, the president was experiencing symptoms on Friday. He had, a, at that point, a fever, low blood oxygen, but now is back to normal levels. And hence, the therapeutics that we had talked so much about are working. And again, one of the things that we've learned there's some things you learn and some things you don't learn. You don't, you don't do what they did in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania and Michigan, and that is that you you don't put people with COVID-19 into elderly care facilities. You know, one of the places that's done, done the best with this and the entire country is down in Florida and the villages. And from day one, Governor Ron DeSantis, and he gets criticized all the time unfairly. You know, the one thing he did do was mobilize every government state agency down in Florida for the purpose of protecting the most vulnerable community, and that's the elderly community. Uh, Nor did he make the stupid executive order choices of these governors in in blue states that were sending COVID patients into nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Uh, Anyway, so the president, you know, went out, waved to people, supporters, said, thank you for coming out. Your best wishes mean a lot. Um... And, you know, all the other noise that you hear is only from the media mob. The first lady apparently also doing well. Her symptoms have not worsened in any way. And uh, that's all you would think it would be good to hear. The debate this week with the vice president, uh, Mike Pence, and Kamala Harris will take place out in Salt Lake City. That should be an interesting debate. Um, And... You know, as we, you know, you continue the eradication of the virus. We're still, remember, therapeutic advancement has been massive. I mean, we, we see this with Re- Regeneron, which was part of the newer therapeutic that people have been so high on. Convalescent plasma now has shown incredible progress that is made. Remdesivir, which the president is taking. Uh, I still stand by the words of Dr. Wallace, uh, Daniel Wallace, a doctor out at Cedar sinai and others 
and some studies now to support. The one study that said hydroxychloroquine was actually dangerous, that was the one study that ended up being pulled after the media had reported on it repeatedly. Um, And unfortunately, politics got caught up in that debate. But again, these are decisions that patients make with the input of their doctors. You have, you know, leftists exploding over the president's short ride outside of the hospital. Uh, Jennifer Rubin's, you know, just sounds like a just just viciously anti-Trump in any way. I would hope that if any harm comes to those agents, the AG uh, uh, would indict the president for reckless endangerment and assault. I'd suggest COVID has already impaired his judgment So he's a risk to others. 25th Amendment, anyone? I mean, just nuts. Another CBS reporter, the president who is infected with coronavirus doesn't appear to be wearing a medical grade mask. NBC News. I mean, they're just it's the same thing we've seen now every second, every minute, every hour of every day. How about you just wish the president and the first lady well and and a speedy recovery? Steve Scalise has gone out there and he's pointed out that uh, the president's actions downplaying. No, he upplayed. How did he upplay by the travel ban, by the quarantine, by the subsequent travel bans? Where's Joe the whole time? Well, in March, Joe was hanging out without any masks, without any, you know, was shaking hands with everybody. Wasn't telling anybody about wearing a mask, wasn't telling anybody to do anything. Then for the rest of the summer, after he got the nomination, pretty much has been hiding in his basement bunker. If he goes out one day and does some campaigning, he puts a lid on any any activity for the rest of the day. The next day at like 930 so he can get his little hot cocoa and his nap in for the day. You know, he's certainly not answering questions. I mean, how are we going to get in 29 days? How do we get to vote on a presidential candidate that won't admit that he's planning on stacking the U.S. Supreme Court? You know, how do we how do we not get an answer about ending the legislative filibuster if Democrats were to take over the Senate? That's why journey Joni Ernst's race matters. Mitch McConnell's race matters. Uh, Jack, uh, John James race matters in Michigan. That's why Martha McSally's race matters so much in Arizona. That's why Tillis's race matters in North Carolina. By the way, his opponent now caught up in some big sect- sexting scandal of some kind. You know, and then and then the Purdue race in Georgia, all critical because if they get control of the Senate, they've telegraphed they're going to make all of those changes. We can't get an answer. You're just going to make other areas what we're going to D.C. is going to get statehood. So you get two more Democratic senators in perpetuity, knowing that there's not a chance in hell you'd ever get a Republican senator out of the swamp and sewer of D.C., a belief that if they do it in other areas, they'll get more Senate seats. We can't even get a straight answer about whether or not these guys would, would try and move forward with a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Electoral College. I mean, th- this is what they now won't even answer. It's a trick. I'm not falling into the trick of Donald Trump to answer if I'm going to pack the courts. It's not a trick. You're supposed to, as a candidate, tell people where you stand on issues and then let people decide. The issues we know you, where you stand scare the, the hell out of me. I mean, now Joe is saying he's going to raise taxes by trillions of dollars. He's going to double down on the failed policies of Obamacare. If you think it was bad the first time, what makes you think it's going to be good this time? 
what he's going to promise again that you can keep your doctor your plan and save money well that lie didn't work out well in in any way shape manner or form he's taking on the new green deal and his plan he says goes further and he's pledging trillions of dollars he's pledging amnesty for at least 11 million people and open borders in the united sanctuary states of america that's a problem also he's pledging to eliminate oil gas coal and and all fossil fuels that's not going to work out good either for the u.s economy he's pledging to bring back burdensome regulations so business is not going to be able to do the things they do best I mean, where is, you know, where where is some place that Joe Biden is in the mainstream? Because every policy that he's advocating for is out of the mainstream. And you're going to believe that Joe Biden is going to be tough on foreign policy. Putin will run circles around him. And so will President Xi. And so will Kim Jong-un. And so will the mullahs in Iran. They'll be demanding another $150 billion in cash and other currency and give nothing in exchange. And how much, how many, is Joe going to be a part-time president or a full-time president? We're going to get a lid on the presidency at 9 a.m. every morning because Joe's tired? He needs a nap, needs to take a break? Pretty unbelievable times we're living in. You know, all of this because they, what, because Donald Trump did what 29 presidents in the past have done in election years, and that is that he appointed When there was a vacancy on the Supreme Court, he nominated a candidate to take that position over. And that vote needs to happen before Election Day. Apparently, we're on track to make that happen. I guess Senator Lee and I guess Senator Tillis also have contracted COVID-19. I mean, it's not different than what the rest of the country has gone through. Unless you live in a bubble, everybody's at risk. And I do think coming out of COVID, there's going to be a new normal that is going to exist for a lot of people. And the new normal is certainly going to be telemedicine is definitely going to be a part of any future in medicine. Teleeducation is going to be a part of of people being able to get degrees at lower cost than we ever dreamed of. You know, telemedicine, teleworking, teleeducation, it's all real. Gives people options and flexibility. How many businesses are going to say, okay, why am I paying X number of dollars per square foot in this big office building that I'm going to be told by Joe Biden needs to be retrofitted to the tune of, you know, I, you know, $500 million or else uh, I'm going to be paying fines for as long as I own the building, which, by the way, are the proposals that they've made in New York. There's now about 500,000 apartments up for sale and empty and available expected in New York in just the next year. I mean, you see massive reductions in the numbers of people there, and they're about to shut down New York schools and New York restaurants again because there's been some hot spots in Queens and Brooklyn and now apparently even moving moving into New York City. I don't think that's going to work out well for anybody. But what did Joe's stated policies? Joe's, we know his stated policies, raise taxes, increase the bureaucracy, eliminate all fossil fuels, open borders, amnesty, weak foreign policy, and stacking the courts, eliminating the legislative filibuster, maybe pursuing statehood for a bunch of countries uh, or a bunch of areas so they can have a perpetual majority in perpetuity, a majority of, of Democratic senators. That's called the power grab. And the mob, the media, they just they allow this guy to just get away with answering no questions. 
They let this guy get away with putting a lid on his campaign at 9, 10 every single morning, every other morning. And Joe doesn't want to do events. It's unbelievable. How, does it, how do you say you want to lead the country and you don't have the strength, the stamina, or frankly, the, the cognitive strength to, to take on the rigors of what is the hardest job in the world? All of this now is hanging in the balance in just 29 days. I mean, do you re- have people really thought deeply about how dangerous this is? You've got an alliance between Bernie Sanders, the most radical senator in the U.S. Senate, Kamala Harris, Bolshevik Bernie, the manifestos, 110 pages. We'll put it up on Hannity.com so you can read it yourself. Then, of course, this idea that we'll eliminate all private health insurance as endorsed by Kamala and Medicare for all or expanding out Obamacare, Biden care. Then, of course, through executive fiat, they think they can just legislate away people's right to keep and to bear arms. Kamala Harris has supported that. Beto O'Rourke is supposed to be the gun czar of Joe. Well, he's the guy that said, hell yeah, we're coming for your AK-47s. I don't know. I'm wondering if people are paying close enough attention to what what this what this future would look like. All right, live free or die, America, the world on the brink. It's just 29 days, and you are the ultimate jury uh, here with his take analysis. The state of the campaign, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, author of the bestseller, Trump in the American Future. He now also hosts Newt's uh, World on podcast. Uh, we have the vice presidential debate coming up, I believe, on th- Wednesday in Utah. Uh, Mr. Speaker, welcome back. Your uh, assessment, just a little over four weeks now, the American people are the ultimate jury. Well, that's right. And to a remarkable extent, we're about where we were in 2016. Uh, the big liberal media polls, which are totally stacked and inaccurate, show about the same lead for Biden that they showed for Hillary Clinton. Uh, two other polls, one by Zogby and the other by the Independent Business Daily, both show a two-point race uh, with Biden ahead, which in my estimation uh, means by the time he had done with a suppressed vote for Trump, that just won't say anything. Uh, Trump's probably a little bit ahead. And when you think about how big Biden's margin will be in California, Illinois, and New York, I think that means that Trump is very much ahead in all the various states where they're competing. So I think it's a fascinating time. And uh, I think that we, you know, we're going to find out in the next few days. The fact that the president is so relentless, he's already starting to bounce back, uh, went out and, and thanked all of his supporters, uh, has spent time with uh, the military veterans in the hospital while he was there. Uh, you know, I think this all, frankly, speaks very well for where we are. And I just did my newsletter, which is coming out on the vice presidential debate. I have to tell you, the difference between a San Francisco radical and an Indiana conservative is so wide that I'm really looking forward to this. So as you look at where we are, what impact, if any, do you think the president contracting COVID and others in his White House contracting COVID-19 play in the minds of people, um, if any? Well, look, I, th- I think it depends, first of all, on what happens and, and how the president handles it. The fact that he has been up front, he's, he's shared with the American people, he had the right tone. You know, to some extent, if the president can come out of there 
with, with a sense of being part of the entire country which has experienced this terrible uh, virus and understanding better uh, how important, as he said in, in one of his videos, how important uh, the nurses and the doctors and the first responders are. Um, I think he might actually be strengthened by this particular experience. I should tell you, by the way, that the Robert Cahalli just uh, sent me a note a little while ago. He's, he's at Trafalgar, which was the most accurate poll in both 2016 and 2018. You know, after all the talk about how well Biden's doing, he now shows Trump ahead of Biden by about four percentage points in, in Ohio, for example. Uh, and so you're beginning to see the race return to its norm. I don't think anybody who was for Trump uh, has moved away from him uh, because of this experience. And in a way, it draws a real distinction. I'm going to go out on a limb here. and You can cut off the limb if you want to. Uh, Trump really does believe this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. He really thinks that to be an American, you can't hide in the basement. You know, this is not the land of the timid uh, and, and the, the home of the fearful. And so I, I do think the difference, he's going to be right back out on the street. He's going to be right back out doing rallies. Um, Paul McCormick and Greg Gutnick, some of these two amazing pictures of two rallies in Duluth, Minnesota, which used to be a big Democratic area, but has turned very Republican. And one rally is Biden with 50 people carefully spaced in a giant teleprompter. The other rally was Trump standing in front of Air Force One with about 20,000 people. And you look at these two, if you just saw these two pictures, you'd say, oh, which of these two do I think is going to win? And it just gives you this flavor. You know, the, the president now has to convert that into a conversation with the American people, but he's in a pretty good position right now to do that. You know, as, as I look at the fact, uh, I, one of the things I'm having the most trouble with is how is it that, that Biden takes off pretty much every other day minimum? And he'll call a lid on on the day's activities at, at 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, meaning uh, that's it. You won't he see or hear from him again. Uh, then he won't take a position on whether or not he'd pack the U.S. Supreme Court with leftist uh, jurists and judges uh, then he won't take a position on ending the legislative filibuster. Uh, then he won't take a position on whether he supports statehood for D.C. and other areas. Uh, then he won't even take a position on whether or not he supports an effort to move forward with a constitutional amendment to eliminate the Electoral College. And one and the positions he does take are to the hardcore left. The, that Bernie Bolshevik Bernie Biden manifesto is a 110 page. It's a real document that you can read. Eliminating bail is part of it. Eliminating oil and gas and fossil fuels is a part of it. Uh, endorsing and pledging trillions to the new Green Deal is a is a part of it. Um, and yet it, it seems to go virtually un, unreported by everybody except for a few of us. Well, 93 percent or more of the propaganda media are totally opposed to Trump. And they're going to cover up for Biden. They're going to hide for Biden. Uh, they're going to avoid raising the obvious questions about Biden uh, because they're so desperate to beat Trump. This has nothing to do with news media. Uh, this, this is a, whether it's the Washington Post, the New York Times, NBC News. I mean, NBC News just produced a poll in which they oversampled Democrats by, yeah. I think, 15 percent. Yes. And so it looks like Biden has this big, big lead. But the truth is, 
They just cheated. And I think that's what you have to remember, that that's what we're faced with right now. So the question is, going forward, assuming the president now continues his speedy recovery, as he's now announced he'll be let out at 6.30 tonight and, and headed back to the White House for his for more therapeutics, one thing I think it does show is that we really have made advancements with the therapeutics. Uh, Regeneron, which is a relatively new therapeutic they've been using, Remdesivir is part another one of them. Uh, the use of these uh steroid uh, inhalers as part of it hydroxychloroquine for other doctors is still a part of their their regimen of cocktails that they put together with the zithromycin and zinc um, and then of course we're in final stage human trials for at least three major uh, vaccines and some of them started as early as late july and they seem to be duplicating what stage two studies have shown human studies, and that is that, okay, they've optimized the dose of the virus. Everybody's producing antibodies. There are some, nobody's dying. The side effects seem to be mild, um, and that would mean great hope in terms of a real vaccine that could be widely distributed in a short period of time, which, by the way, is miraculous in and of itself. Look, I think one of the stories that nobody's really focused on yet is that you know, free enterprise worked. We were faced with a crisis. We turned to the private sector. They have responded, whether it's building ventilators or building personal protection equipment or developing various therapies, as you pointed out, or developing vaccines. I mean, the, the speed and the intensity of the private sector is one of the great repudiations of socialism. And as a result, we are so much further down the road today than we were back in, say, February or March or April, that it's astonishing. And the result's going to be fewer and fewer people are going to die, fewer and fewer people are going to have real complications. Uh, and it's a great tribute to the American system. And as the president has said, we're, present, we're now producing, for example, enough ventilators that we can send them all around the world. Uh, so we, we actually become, in a sense, uh, the medicine cabinet for the planet, just the way in World War II we were the arsenal of democracy. And this is a great tribute to the capacity of the free enterprise system responding uh, to this kind of a challenge. I think it's really one of the underreported stories uh, of this year. How confident are you in the integrity of the system? I mean, you see these states are changing their their voting laws and, and making extensions in terms of how long out of the of, of election day that people are going to be counting votes you know, that this, this is all brand new territory for everybody. Um, how dangerous is it in your mind? Look, okay, I lived through the Democrats stealing uh, Indiana 9 in 1984-85. Uh, I lived through watching the Democrats steal a U.S. Senate seat in Minnesota. Um, I have no faith uh, in uh, their protestations. I think we have to have poll watchers everywhere. We have to challenge everywhere the kind of activity that's underway. Uh, in a lot of places, frankly, the Republicans are winning lawsuits because the Democrats have so overreached. I mean, when, when you have the Democratic governor and the Democratic legislature in Nevada uh, pass a law that says uh, they're going to send a ballot to everybody. You don't, you don't have to apply for it. You don't have to prove you're a citizen. You don't have to prove you're registered. They're sending it to everybody. 
And the post office put in writing and sent them a letter that said, because of the turnover of population, there are 200,000 names on, on the list who no longer live in Nevada. Now, what that means is 200,000 ballots under the Democratic plan will show up at apartments, at condominiums, at nursing homes. And, of course, the Culinary Union, which is the most powerful organization in Nevada, will be happy to go out and pick up all of these extra ballots. So I have no faith that we're going to get an honest election unless we're very aggressive and very militant and very willing to go to the mat. And it's exactly like Florida was in 2000 when you had a local uh, person in this in Palm Beach County who was clearly a Democrat, clearly was cheating. Uh, and if she'd had her way, Al Gore would have become president, even though it would have been illegal. I mean, you watch all of this unfold and then you look at Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, I mean, he's clearly frail, weak. He's struggling cognitively. He's hiding an awful lot. I mean, is it, would America really elect somebody in his condition? Sure. I, I think, first of all, if you watch, the news media doesn't want to report his condition. Uh, the news media doesn't want to ask him any tough questions. The news media doesn't want to point out the degree to which uh, he contradicts himself. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, if the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC, ABC, CBS, etc., if they can pick him up and carry him into the White House, they'll do it in a heartbeat. Uh, and they'll carefully avoid overreacting. I mean, that's why I think this is a very unusual campaign. And if we didn't have talk radio, if we didn't have Fox News, if we didn't have the Wall Street Journal, uh, if we didn't have social media, uh, they would just beat us and it wouldn't even be close. But because we have all those things, uh, this is the American people versus the left-wing establishment. And I believe, frankly, that uh, we're going to end up uh, with the, uh, the American people winning and the left-wing establishment uh, getting beaten badly. All right, as we continue, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. All right, so in 29 days, how do you see this shaking out? Well, I, look, I go back to where I've always been. Uh, I think in the end, the idea of Joe Biden, with all of the baggage he's got from Hunter Biden and all the problems of Chinese, Ukrainian, and Russian uh, corruption, um, and his inability to come out of the basement, I think in the end he loses. I and mean, he's clearly a liberal. And I think that the, the big story coming out of the debate this week, when you have a San Francisco radical uh, like uh, Kamala Harris, and an Indiana conservative uh, like Mike Pence, the gap is going to be so gigantic that it's going to be very hard for the left to, to hide from the reality that what Biden and Harris stand for is just you know, totally unacceptable. Um, I also think that the left is increasingly tone deaf. And I don't know if you've seen this most recent thing from, from Cuomo, uh, Governor Cuomo, who said, I have to say to the Orthodox community, if you're not willing to live with these rules, then I'm going to close the synagogues. You believe it? No. I mean, well, I mean, what, how can you possibly, with everything we've been taught for the last 70 years, going back to, to Nazi Germany, et cetera, how can you have some guy talk about, just talk casually about closing the synagogues? And how does that fit into our First Amendment rights to religious liberty? And I think, but, but the reason I bring it up is, I think it is typical 
of the, the degree to which the left is now tone deaf, including the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the big... And not network. answering these questions the about packing the court and, uh, and all these other issues. All right, Mr. Speaker, thank you. When we come back, uh, speaking of corruption, we'll have the latest with John Solomon, Greg Jarrett on Zero Experience Hunter, Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs, and Chinese nationals. Straight ahead. All right, suit up, chin down, 25 till the top of the hour. We'll get an update on the president. And uh, Kaylee McEnany, by the way, has also been diagnosed COVID positive at the White House. Seems like a big hot spot happened there. Um, and how everybody's dealing with it. The president on a uh, literally a cocktail of different medicines showing good support. Port, headed home uh, to the White House today as he continues his treatment and hopefully back at, by the next debate and moving forward. Um, now, one of the things that came up in the last debate that the mob, the media will never talk about. Well, we learned, for example, that the source for Christopher Steele uh, ended up being a, a ru- known Russian operative of 10 years. We know now from the Ratcliffe release that, in fact, Hillary Clinton was the one that concocted this whole Russia Trump narrative out of out of whole cloth as a distraction from her subpoenaed emails that she also deleted and and bleach bit and hammers and everything else in between. Uh, We also learned that in spite of Joe claiming during the debate and many times since, thanks to Senator Ron Johnson and Senator Charles Grassley, their 87 page report that Hunter Biden, who we now we already knew had no experience in oil, gas, energy or anything to do with Ukraine, was still paid millions of dollars. Uh, we do know that Joe is bragging on tape that he leveraged a billion tax dollars to get the prosecutor investigating this company, Burisma Holdings. Uh, we know to get the prosecutor off of Hunter's back and he was successful. Son of a bee. He took the money. The country took the money and he fired this guy. Uh, We also know now that these business dealings go well beyond Ukraine, but now into China where the billion and a half dollar Bank of China deal was known. We know there's other dealings with Chinese nationals, Ukrainian nationals, Kazakh nationals, Russian nationals. We know about massive money wire transfers taking place from people in a lot of these countries, including the first lady of Moscow billionaire who uh in fact hunter knew well and had business dealings with also now the question is why won't the media ask questions because you know if it was don jr's uh or one any one of the trump kids that it would be front page news every second of every day and the media mob is doing what they do best and that's covering up for the bidens just like they covered up for hillary but the president brought it up in the first debate. Here's how that went down. China ate your lunch, Joe. And no wonder your son goes in and he takes out he takes out billions of dollars, takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, Simply while we're at true. it, why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to deserve one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars? Not an answer. If not, none of that is true. Oh, really? He totally didn't get three no, and a half hey, Mr. President, no, it's totally, Mr. President, please totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way, well, wait, he didn't get three and a half million dollars, Joe. Mr. Vice, he got three and a half million dollars. It is not true. Oh, really? Vice President, answer. Discredited. Did Barista pay one hundred eighty-three thousand a month with with no experience in energy? Mr. President, my son did nothing wrong at Barista. I think he did, Mr. President. Let him answer. 
He doesn't want to let me answer because he knows I have the truth. His, his position has been totally, thoroughly discredited. By who? And the media. By everybody. Well, by the, by media, the media, by our allies, by the World Bank, by, e- by everyone has discredited. Matter of Dude, fact, it. matter of fact, Mr. even President, the people who testified under oath. He got three and a half million testified, dollars from Moscow. Te- he testified under oath in his administration, said, I did my job and I did it very well. Oh, I really? did it I'd honorably. Like to know who they are. Every, well, I'll give you the list I'll of the people them. who testified. No, no, go ahead, sir. Sure, you, you've already fired most of them because they did some a good job. Some people don't well, do a good here's job. The, with you, ahead, you the the fi- wait a minute. You get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This, hey, hey this let me person. just say to you. No, no, no. I'm no. Mr. President. Three and a half million, Joe. That is simply. Why did not he deserve. True. Why can't we just vet that out? Why can't we vet out? Why, will, you, will you stack the Supreme Court? Will you stack it? Will you pack it? Well, you know, what's so hard about answering? Will you eliminate the legislative filibuster? Will you go along with a plan to have a constitutional amendment that would abolish the Electoral College? Do you support statehood for, you know, places like D.C. and other places uh, around the world that Democrats then would have a, a majority in the Senate in perpetuity? The fact is that, well, Hunter, zero experience, got all of this money and had all of these deals and all of these wire transfers exist. Anyway, here to break it down, John Solomon, editor-in-chief, justthenews.com. Greg Jarrett, number one New York Times bestselling author of Witch Hunt and the Russia Hoax. You know, it's amazing to me that not one single person in the media, your profession, John Solomon, would even care to look into the wire transfers that we now know took place, the monies that were transferred, the special deals that Hunter got, you know, Kazakh nationals, Ukrainian nationals, Russian nationals, Chinese nationals. It goes way beyond Burisma. It does, and uh, it's willful ignorance on the part of my uh, industry. There's no doubt about it. They don't have the courage. Uh, that He could have been checked right at that point in the middle of that debate. Chris Wallace could have said... Mr. Vice President, there's a report from the Senate that says that $3.5 million came to your son on this day, in this amount, in this account. Are you saying that that's not true? And that no one did it. Uh, but the truth of the matter is what Joe Biden just said, what we just heard, is not true. It is not a false story. It is a true story. Just 12 days before uh, Russia invaded Crimea in Ukraine, uh, a Russian oligarch by the name of uh, Yelena Baderina, transferred $3.5 million into an account called Rosemont Seneca Thornton, controlled by Hunter Biden and created by Hunter Biden. That is not in dispute. The president was correct. The vice president did not tell the truth. Okay, you take Greg Jarrett. I mean, it's so corrupt. Uh, And we know one thing. In 29 days, if God forbid Joe Biden were to win the presidency, all of the investigations into the deep state, they would all disappear. The media mob would never treat Joe Biden the way they've treated Donald Trump, would they? No, they wouldn't. Absolutely. Uh, it was a brazen lie by Joe Biden during the debate uh, when he said it was untrue that his son had received the three point five million dollar transfer from Arthur Batarina uh, because it's in the Senate report. It's also corroborated by Treasury Department records, as John Solomon has uh, reported. And it's also in the board meetings that the FBI recovered from uh, the Devin Archer and Hunter Biden uh, Corporation, in which he bragged that he had received that money in a total of $200 million 
from Butterman. So, uh, you know, I, it was shocking to me that not only that Joe Biden lied and said it was untrue and discredited, hasn't been discredited by the media, as he claimed, because the media ignored it. And it wasn't fact-checked in real time during the debate. I mean, Chris Wallace, all he had to say was, Mr. Vice President, it's in the Senate report, and there are documents that uh, are provided by the U.S. Senate. So, you know, it was stunning to me, but the media, of course, doesn't even report it. All right. So now let's assume he, what do the Republicans have as an option? How do they get to the bottom of this? How do we get the truth out? Well, you know, I mean, what do we have another four years of investigations? First two years of the IG, then then two years of another Durham investigation to ever get to the bottom of these things. Uh, John Solomon, there is new documents changing hands as we speak, uh, Sean, uh, some new uh, productions from the State Department that I think we will see in the next 48 to 72 hours. I believe they will show, among other things, that when your social media account and my social media account was being improperly monitored by uh, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev when we were reporting on these early Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. Next by the way, how did I get to number one on the monitor list? How come you weren't number one? You should have been number one. I'm glad to be lower on the list. Trust me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, you're going to find out now. Remember what Maria Vanovich testified at the hearings? She said that uh, they stopped it because they ran out of uh, resources. We're going to find out that she was told that what she was doing was illegal, and that's why it was ordered stopped. We're also going to find out, I think, in the next couple of days, that new FBI documents are going to show exactly what the CIA and FBI knew about Hillary Clinton efforts to concoct the Russia collusion story, the hoax, uh, in an effort to distract from her own problems. I, I believe those are going to be declassified. I've been told the president ordered them declassified this morning. All right. But the problem is we haven't gotten there yet. The problem is it just keeps going on and on. The problem is we got an election in 29 days, Greg Jarrett. It doesn't sound like we're going to get to the truth of 2016 before the vote in 2020 is taken. Well, I think it's true that the documents will come out, but the mainstream media, which has been covering up for Joe Biden and the Obama administration, including, uh, you know, President Obama himself, will ignore it completely. And so the information, it's very difficult to get it out to the American people in time to vote, and some of are voting already without that vital information. Uh, but the evidence is there, and I think it'll become more shocking as more documents are declassified. I I argued in my book, Witch Hunt, Chapter 2, that it was Hillary Clinton who created, invented uh, the, the Russia hoax as a, as a way to distract from her emails uh, and her scandal. I, I wrote how I went through all of her speeches. She began peppering them with these false accusations that uh, Trump and uh, Vladimir Putin uh, were doing business together and trying to influence the 2016 election. And of course, these new documents uh, validate that argument. And so, but getting it out to the American public—that's difficult. Well, there was an article Newt Gingrich uh, put out, and we just had him on how China infiltrated uh, the U.S. and Hunter Biden, or another example, show the extent of the problem. And uh, Arizona Senate candidate Mark Kelly, for example, his activities with the Chinese Communist dictatorship have become an issue. Uh, out in Arizona with with that election going on against Martha McSally, who I think has done a great job. And Hunter Biden's acceptance of, of monies from allies like China, Russia, Ukraine, uh, et cetera. Some of the some of the Democrats in particular, they have now taken issue with a lot of this for all the right reasons. 
And I think that uh, in Kelly's case, riding around China with a Chinese flag on a motorcycle was probably good for selling products and putting money in his own pocket. But it legitimized the totalitarian regime of uh, President Xi. And I was a little surprised that I read that and that that's not a bigger issue out in Arizona. Uh, Greg Jarrett. Yeah. And Mark Kelly was also in business with Chinese companies, uh, which, uh, you know, is a national security risk given the nature of that particular business that he was doing with China. So, I mean, I think that's going to royal the Arizona Senate race uh, to the favor of Martha McSally. Uh, You know, there are serious questions about uh, Mark Kelly. Uh, And, yeah, he's an American astronaut, but when, you know, he is for profit uh, in business with Chinese companies and creating a national security risk, I think that gives voters in Arizona pause when they cast their ballots. All right, stay right there. More with uh, JustTheNews.com's John Solomon and Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. Final moments with Greg Jarrett and John Solomon. All right, so where do you see Durham right now? 30 seconds each, John uh, Solomon. Do we see evidence of a grand jury being convened yet? I see plenty of evidence of an ongoing uh, investigation includes grand jury activity, but I don't think we're going to see any outcome until after the election. And after the election, regardless of the outcome, does that continue or no? Well, it certainly will until the 20th of uh, January. Then it will depend who's in charge on the 20th of January. But it yeah, will that's where it then. goes to die. If God forbid that happened, Greg Jarrett. Yeah, it'll it'll die if Biden is elected, uh, and certainly if the Senate flips to Democratic control. But I agree with John. It's increasingly looking like any. Potential indictments uh, may have to wait until after the election. But, you know, you've got a two-month gap there, thereafter, and action may be taken. It's a shame. I think COVID interfered with uh, Durham's ability to bring more prompt indictments. All right. Thank you both. John Solomon, Greg Jarrett. When we come back, the president leaving Walter Reed, 630, right after this program ends today. I will have the video on Hannity tonight. Full coverage of all this. I hope you'll always set your DVR. Don't forget, 9 Eastern Hannity Fox, best election coverage on television and radio. On the other side, we'll check in with our medical aid team on the president's condition and how to protect yourself with these new therapeutics and where we stand with the vaccine next. All right, just 29 days, and you are the ultimate jury, 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program. Uh, uh, how do you explain hotspots? Well, I've said, you know, from the beginning, we said on this program, it's not if, it's when and where. And, and we've been able to watch uh, and learn from a lot of different hotspots. Remember the meat packing plant? It was one in South Dakota, then one in Iowa, then one in Washington State, and, and they got all over those areas quickly. So it seems now like the White House became its own hotspot. Uh, and the president, of course, uh, looks like he's getting out of the hospital today, uh, has now spoken twice in videos and also has been out tweeting. Uh, here's what he said. I'll be back. I think I'll be back soon. And I look forward to finishing up the campaign the way it was started and the way we've been doing and the kind of numbers that we've been doing. We've been so proud of it. But this was something that happened and it's happened to millions of people all over the world and I'm fighting for them, not just in the US, I'm fighting for them all over the world. We're gonna beat this coronavirus or whatever you wanna call it and we're gonna beat it soundly. So many things have happened. If you look at the therapeutics, which I'm taking right now, some of them, and others are coming out soon that are looking like 
frankly, they're miracles, if you want to know the truth. They're miracles. People criticize me when I say that. But we have things happening that look like they're miracles coming down from God. So I just want to tell you that I'm starting to feel good. Uh, you don't know over the next period of a few days. I guess that's the real test. So we'll be seeing what happens over those next, co next couple of days. I just want to be so thankful for all of the support I've seen, whether it's on television or reading about it. Uh, I most of all appreciate what's been said by the American people, by almost a bipartisan consensus of American people. It's a beautiful thing to see, and I very much appreciate it, and I won't forget it. I promise you that. I also want to thank the leaders of the world for uh, their condolences and their, they know what we're going through. They know what, as your leader, what I have to go through. But I had no choice because I just didn't want to stay in the White House. I was given that alternative. Stay in the White House, lock yourself in, don't ever leave. Don't even go to the Oval Office. Just stay upstairs and enjoy it. Don't see people, don't talk to people, and just be done with it. And I can't do that. I had to be out front and this is America. This is the United States. This is the greatest country in the world. This is the most powerful country in the world. I can't be locked up in a room upstairs and totally safe and uh, just say, hey, whatever happens, happens. I can't do that. We have to confront problems. As a leader, you have to confront problems. There's never been a great leader that would have done that. All right, that was the president speaking out twice. He did go on one ride to uh, give a thumbs up to supporters outside of Walter Reed over the weekend. 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the program. We'll get to your calls in the bottom half hour of the program. It is 29 days. You are the ultimate jury uh, here to weigh in on the advancement of the therapeutics and the advancement of the vaccine Numerous now trials, final stage human trials going on for a vaccine, and, and they continue. Uh, Dr. Harvey Risch is with us, a Yale uh, epidemiology professor. Dr. George Farid back with us, too, Harvard Medical School. Um, and he has, by the way, along with other doctors, treated over 2,000 COVID-19 patients. Uh, he does believe in hydroxychloroquine as one of the one of the therapeutics that can be used. Uh, welcome both of you back to the program. I guess the, the the one that we're now hearing the most about that the president used from early on is Regeneron. Uh, Dr. Rich, uh, what do you what do you think of Regeneron in terms of a new therapeutic that's showing pretty uh, promising results? Uh, I think it's still uh, experimental, actually, and. Uh, promise is good, but we really need to have trials of it in people on larger scale to know exactly what it's likely to do and what its side effects are. Um, there are people who have adverse reactions to it, and they might not be life-threatening, but they require I immediate care, and it's hard to predict when that happens. So you have to have everything worked out in order to use a medication like that. But the important thing about all this is that he got care quickly and aggressively. And that's what we've been saying for the longest time, that you can't just let people fester at home with nothing for two weeks and go to the hospital. You have to be able to treat people aggressively and quickly. I agree with, with all of that. Um, it's hard for some to even mention hydroxychloroquine at this point. Are you in agreement with that, or do you believe that it has shown 
uh, to be an effective early treatment, as some other studies, some now some numerous studies have shown. No, it is an effective early treatment, but it's not the only treatment. The the point that we've severe, been which along. is the president is taking a, a, a run of now. How do you feel about both of them? I think that he got a cocktail of things that has worked for him, and that included vitamin D. It included zinc. It included whatever it was that got the zinc into his cells to have been effective. Hydroxychloroquine is a, an inexpensive thing that can work in a population, but when you are talking about the president of a country where no, no expense is spared and you can do it in the hospital, you want to be, you know, be open to the world, so to speak, for anything that can work. And that's what he got, but it's not generalizable to your everyday person in the population who needs to be treated quickly outside the hospital. And let's talk to you, Dr. Fareed. Uh, you've dealt with a lot of patients that have COVID-19. You're watching what the president, this cocktails, as we call it, of, of varying therapeutics, uh, taking them very early in the process. That is shown to be very cr- critical to get in there early. Uh, your thoughts on Regeneron, your thoughts on hydroxychloroquine with zinc and, and azithromycin, and uh, now we're using more of these inhaler steroids on top of remdesivir. I mean, a lot more options than we had in the beginning of this. Uh, thank you very much, Sean. It's, uh, I agree fully with uh, Dr. Reich and what he stated in that uh, I am an advocate of hydroxychloroquine. I, I've fought it here with a great colleague of mine, Dr. Brian Tyson at his urgent care clinic, uh, and we set up a model of the fever clinics that are throughout Saudi Arabia and have allowed them to overcome the pandemic with hydroxychloroquine zinc and, and the other su- uh, supportive medications. Uh, what we did in this uh, program here in the Imperial Valley, which was the epicenter for the uh, pandemic of, of California in June and July, is through Dr. Tyson's keen approach of bringing in patients in an orderly way, getting them screened, getting chest x-rays, getting all the history that would be appropriate to allow them to take hydroxychloroquine, which is very safe. So we had uh, no fatalities in that center. And in my own clinic, 300 patients who did very well with it. But it's basically the... But but it's when taken early. That seems to be critical. Yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly. It it has a window and it lowers viral load. It's like the antibody cocktail that that President Trump uh, received, which helped lower the viral load, we presume. But uh, we could have given hydroxychloroquine and uh, convalescent plasma, for that matter, at that early period. With regard to the remdesivir, it may or may not be as effective as hydroxychloroquine, quite frankly. But, uh, and studies are coming out that suggest that it isn't uh, such a great effective agent uh, in, at different stages of COVID-19. But I'm, I think he's, uh, President Trump received very good early treatment, as Dr. Reich pointed out. And uh, I just want to have Dr. Fauci and others look at a series of questions that we hope Congress will send to him that addresses why we haven't had the ability to use and doctors haven't known that hydroxychloroquine is a very safe and good option. We, we could have started this in March and had thousands and thousands of people saved. So I, I, I'm never going to change my opinion on that. But uh, that's uh, 
something my colleagues, Don Pompan, a great doctor, and Michael Jacobs from Florida, an extremely good doctor, composed these 20 questions that hopefully Congress will address to the FDA and particularly Dr. Fauci to get answers as to uh, allowing us to encourage doctors to use an early treatment that uh, that is practical, that's $150 as opposed to thousands and thousands for the treatment that, uh, that President Trump received. So it's, we have to be flexible, and we have to use what is safe and what is effective in lowering the viral load, and that's what our cocktail does. Has anybody, I've not gotten, a, gotten a, a satisfactory answer about any prophylactic qualities or properties that, for example, hydroxychloroquine had. I mean, early on, there was talk about the use of hydroxychloroquine in, in rheumatoid arthritis patients or those with lupus or as an anti-malarial, and that there were far fewer incidences of people contracting COVID-19. Did we ever get an answer on that? Uh, Dr. Uh, Rish, we'll start with you. Uh, The answer to that actually is quite recently yes. And that was shown in a uh, meta-analysis that's on the preprint server med archive by the last author is Miguel Hernan. And what they did is they put together studies, the randomized control trials that looked only at use in either uh, prevention as a, as a whole before exposure or very uh, recent use right after exposure to prevent the, the generation of symptoms. And they showed a statistically significant benefit of using hydroxychloroquine in those two circumstances. So the answer to that, as we know now, is yes. It, it um, cements what the, the four studies that have in India that show that after enough of a dose of hydroxychloroquine has built up over five to six weeks, that it, it also prevents the uh, it reduces uh, the susceptibility to getting symptomatic uh, COVID disease. It, it, in other words, so it is uh, when you say built up over five to six weeks. So you would need to be taking it five to six weeks for it to build up. I guess enough of a, a presence in the body to fight off even the infection itself or contracting the virus itself. It can be done faster. the 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 recipe for that is once a, taking it once a week. It can be taken every day for five days, and then after that, once a week, in order to do it quicker. All right, Dr. Uh, Farid, we'll ask you the last question in this segment. I do see it as, uh, in my own case, in myself, but in in addition, I agree with how Dr. Reich described it in these studies that have come out to support it uh, for prophylactic use. It would be recommended to take it with zinc, uh, a supplement, and even vitamin D, uh, in addition, but uh, I, I do find that it, it has been protective, and I, I'm a perfect living example of it being protecting me through this pandemic here. 800-941-SHAWN. We'll take uh, also more calls at the bottom of this half hour for the uh, last half hour of the show today. Uh, we'll say hi to Ben is in Georgia. Ben, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir. I'm doing well, sir. Love the show. Um, I have a question. I have a question for the panel. Um, I had COVID the week of the 4th of July, and the doctor that I had was a retired Navy doctor, and he had told me that um, my immunity would probably be good for about three months, he said, depending on which study you listen to. But my question is, what is the difference in natural infection immunity versus vaccination immunity, and why is it so much better from the vaccination? At least that's how they're selling it. I've not heard that it's better. What What we're seeing now with stage three 
human and final stage human trials before you have the the full vaccine, which would then need FDA approval, is that they apparently now, like in phase two uh, human studies, they found that the optimal dose to get people to create antibodies, the antibodies are what would fight off any exposure down the line to the virus. Um, in other words, and prevent the negative effects of the virus in your body. It fights it off for you. Um, they have, so once they have the optimal dose, there's two different sets of, of tests you know, that are going on. One would require a shot and a booster shot. The other would be a single shot uh, that somebody would take. Nobody's dying from the, the long-term final stage trials. There are some side effects that we've read about. You know, some people get a small headache or muscle ache. Some have had more severe, just a few, a very small outlier group have had a little bit more. They'd have a, a spike in temperature for 24, 36 hours, but the immunities are still building up. Uh, but immunities are immunities. Antibodies are antibodies. And if you have them, that means that you build up the herd immunity uh, through the vaccine and not through people actually risking their lives, actually getting the virus, if that makes sense. Yes, sir, it does. But if I've already had the virus and, and mine got pretty bad, but if you had the virus, why do they say you only have three months of immunity and you'd still need to be vaccinated? I've heard that some people's antibodies went down. I have friends of mine that have had antibody tests and have gone back months later and they still have them. Okay. Yes, sir. All right, stay in touch. All right, we'll take calls. Final half hour next, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? 29 days, tipping point election. You are the ultimate jury. We've got the best election coverage available on your radio dial. Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern Fox. We hope you'll set your DVR, never miss a show, and we'll continue. All right, glad you're with us. Suit up, chin down. Here we go, 29 days. You are the ultimate jury. You get to decide, not the media mob, not the leftist Democrats, and certainly not Joe Biden. Um, I thought we had a First Amendment in this country. By the way, 25 now to the top of the hour. And our First Amendment's clear. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the or of the press or the right of the people to peacefully uh, peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Well, you wouldn't know that if you lived in New York, because Andrew Cuomo is now threatening religious institutions. If if they do not agree to his new covid rules, he will shut them down and then he'll close down New York City schools uh, in coronavirus hotspots starting tomorrow. Wow, listen to this. The religious community has to agree to the rules, and they have to agree that they are going to follow the rules. And they have to agree that they are going to be a full partner in the enforcement of the rules. That's condition one. I'm going to meet with members of the ultra-Orthodox community tomorrow. I want to have that conversation directly myself. This cannot happen again. If you do not agree to enforce the rules, then we'll close the institutions down. Uh, I am prepared to do that. Better safe than sorry. I would not send my child to a school in a hotspot cluster that has not been tested, where I did not have proof that the infection rate was low in that school. I would not send my child. I am not going to recommend or allow any New York City family 
to send their child to a school that I wouldn't send my child. We're going to close the schools in those areas tomorrow. Okay, whatever he says. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Same guy that said, uh, we're going to send these patients uh, to uh, nursing homes, the long-term ter- care facilities. Then he lashes out at the long-term care facilities. They did it for the money. He left the beds that the president built for him, the vast majority of them, over 70-some-odd percent of them, empty. The president built the hospital beds, manned the hospital beds, converted the hospital beds into COVID-19 capability, provided all of the manpower, all of the PPE ever imaginable, Every single ventilator that was needed was produced. And then he put, now it's estimated by the AP, over 11,000 people died because of that one dumb decision. Same with the governor of New Jersey. Same with the governor of Pennsylvania. Same with the incompetent governor of Michigan. Pretty unbelievable. All right, 29 days. You're the ultimate jury. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Larry is in Louisiana. Larry, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Hey, Sean. Thank you for taking my call. It's an honor to talk to you today. Thank you. Honor uh, to talk to you. I, I want to thank you for continuing to bring these physicians on and uh, keeping the the discussion alive about hydroxychloroquine. Uh, my my personal story, I'll try to be brief, but uh, my wife uh, in the end of July came down with COVID, and at first she tested negative. She had symptoms for a day and a half. Uh, a fever, body aches, and a cough, and uh, went in and tested negative. So she went on to work, and then within 24 hours, you know, her symptoms had increased tremendously, and she had become you know, very, very congested. Temperature was even higher, and just felt uh, extremely uh, worse. And so went and got tested again. And so within 24 hours of testing negative, she tested positive. And from that point, fortunately. Her physician uh, is very aggressive, has at that point had treated over probably 45 to 50 patients using the uh, HCQ cocktail, and she immediately started her own, uh, the cocktail. And this is, to me, the most important part, uh, Sean, is that she uh, had gone down from uh, 98 to uh, O2 sat of about 93 in about five to six hours. And it's a pretty she's, precipitous uh, drop. Very, very quickly. And so the onset of the, the lung uh, deterioration, infection, congestion, whatnot, is, is, it happens so fast. We were fortunately apparently in that window where it was still uh, treatable with the cocktail. And so uh, that night, about 7 o'clock, she uh, took, during the decline, she was 93 and she took her first of the cocktail, and in the morning she woke up, and she was back up to 97. And then throughout the course of the day, she began to improve lung-wise. And then by that, that the second morning on HCQ, all of her lung uh, symptoms had completely disappeared. She had the remaining fatigue and, and whatnot, but... I mean, she's a nurse. I'm not a medical professional by any means. I work in the mental health field, but I'll tell you this, Sean, all the stories, I believe they're true. They're accurate. This is a very effective drug, and I saw, and my wife saw, you know, well, with our own let, eyes. Let me just add to this. Now we've improved the, the 
therapeutic options for people, as you know, we now see with the president. And I did not hear whether he took hydroxychloroquine, although he has in the past as uh, as a preventative or I guess just to try it out for himself. Um, I look at Dr. Daniel Wallace, who is the foremost expert on hydroxychloroquine, um, 400 peer reviewed articles, uh, largest uh, lupus practice in the country. He's been at this 42 years prescribing it, uh, uses it for his lupus patients, his uh, rheumatoid arthritis patients, uses it for as an anti-malarial, has written extensively. And when he wrote his letter back in April, and I read it, nobody wanted to pay any attention to it. He was very clear, the risk is nil, he went on to say. And uh, it, it didn't matter that he had said this. It's a 65-year-old drug. It did show a lot of promise in a lot of different people, and the risk was nil, according to him. And I don't know any more foremost expert on this than him. Um, many doctors and many patients that I know that got COVID-19 followed that regimen, and they did well on it. And the one study, this was such a disservice, that was published that said there might be some risks associated with it. Well, that published got rescinded. That, and that was the one that was most widely cited by the media. There have been other studies since then that have shown otherwise. We've gone over them extensively. But, you know, look, it's not up to Sean Hannity what people should do. I know what I would do. I've made my decisions. If I ever get this thing, I'm not going to live my life in fear uh, of getting COVID or getting any virus. I think you apply common sense to everything. I, I was one of the first and most outspoken about I don't have any problem wearing masks because I saw in the middle of this, this shift show in New York very early on that masks were working at my local grocery store and drugstore. Um, but people are going to, you know, we, 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 we all make our own de de determinations and, and we all calculate what the risk is. You know, but I can only say to those shutdown people that are out there all the time that if the medical manufacturers shut down and the farmers shut down and the packers shut down and the truck drivers shut down, we wouldn't have survived in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and other states that were hit hard early. So, I mean, I, I guess some people might have the luxury of living in their basement bunkers uh, throughout an entire pandemic, the worst since 1917 and 18. Others have to make decisions. And a lot of people needed to make decisions to go to work. Those nurses and doctors that showed up every day, those medical professionals and researchers and scientists that showed up every day, the people that manufactured all the PPE we needed every day and the foods that we in consume every day, you know, they all kept working. And if they didn't, we'd be in a mess. Anyway, I'm glad she's OK. Um, that is one of many stories we're hearing from a lot of different people. Uh, Tim is in San Francisco. Tim, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir. You're on the Sean Hannity show. Hey, Sean. Hey, listen, uh, uh, I, I just want to say as soon as I heard that about Trump getting the code, I, I just at first I was depressed. But then it hit me. This is going to be his Churchillian moment. This is. Apollo 13, you know, the, what could be the greatest disaster is going to turn into NASA's greatest triumph. You know, he has defeated everything that the left has thrown out. They have thrown the kitchen sink at him from the media to Hollywood, the academia, the deep state, the bureaucracy, uh, the judicial, uh, just everything. And this guy comes up every time he cannot be defeated. And this is what people need to understand out there. Donald Trump, it, it's almost like he's superhuman. I think what's going to happen is he's going to be on that debate stage two weeks later, 
and Biden's going to be seem, seeming all tired. And he's, you know, Trump's going to say, you know, yeah, the last two weeks, what have I been doing? Running the, the largest country in the world, it, it, you know, making sure everything goes right. Oh, and by the way, I had COVID in between the last time I was here talking to you. You know, I had COVID, defeated that. And, you know, people talk about suburban women. I think women, women love strength. They love strong people. And they're going to see a guy. You're breaking up on me here. Look, the president said something in his tweet today that I mentioned earlier. I'll be leaving the great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. And I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Um, look, fear is a very strange thing. Fear can paralyze people in lives. If if I live my life if, if out of fear, I wouldn't be able to accomplish very much at all. Um, I do know people in my industry that will never, never go very far because they live in a state of never-ending fear. They can't be criticized. Some people are afraid to take risks in life. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't take every reasonable, smart, intelligent step possible to avoid getting the virus. But eventually... Life is about living, and we're all living with risks every day. We just don't think about those risks every day. And, you know, we do say that we're the land of the free. We do say that we're the home of the brave. Do we really mean it and believe it? Because I think the answer is, yeah, you have to be. And in moments of great, great danger is, is when people show the greatest amount of bravery. You know, look at Winston Churchill and the bombing of Britain. He went out among the people of Britain daily while they were being deluged with bombs from from Nazi Germany. And, you know, blood, toil, tears. I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined the government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. You ask what is up on it, I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. But without victory, there is no survival. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. There are moments, human beings, the human experience is challenged at the highest level. And in many ways, this is one of those moments. Rising to that occasion means everything. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Kennedy tonight, 9 Eastern, Fox News Channel. Newt Gingrich, Eric Trump will join us. Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Dr. Oz, our medical aid team. Lawrence Jones, outside of Walter Reed. And Kaylee McEnany, just diagnosed with COVID-19. All coming up, 9 Eastern, Hannity, Set Your DVR, Fox News Channel. Only 28 days as of tomorrow till the tipping point election in our lifetime and you being the jury. We'll see you tonight at 9. Back here tomorrow. Thanks for being with us.